Greetings from Helms Deep, Texas, and a belated Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there who are listening to this podcast. I hope you had a wonderful day and hope your children made you feel like queen for a day and then some. This is your humble and obedient host, Andrew Thomas, here with the Resurgence Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. You know, when I began the Resurgence Podcast and had the Trump Under Siege series, I assumed it would be an occasional series. Obviously, the President uh, Trump has is involved in a number of issues, legal and otherwise, and I assumed those would recur periodically. But it has turned into basically a weekly series because he has so much incoming fire that he's dealing with. And so I'm the one person I'm aware of who's tracking all this, trying to make sense of it and give you a straightforward analysis of why this is happening, what it says for him, and what it says for our country. And that's what we're going to keep doing. And today the theme is the land of the mighty bad judges, because we have judges who are mighty and they are bad, and they are mistreating President Trump. Last week I had an article pointing out basically all the leftist lawfare that's hammering conservatives. Fox News got hammered. President Trump is getting hammered. All the MAGA candidates who've tried to contest the election chicanery of the last two election cycles, they've all been hammered, etc., etc. And here we have President Trump going through two significant legal battles, needless to say, in New York. One is the criminal case against him, the Stormy Daniels fraud case, alleged fraud. And, of course, we had, most recently, the civil trial involving Gene Carroll, who had accused President Trump of sexual assault. I'm going to talk about how the judges in those cases, like the judge in the Fox News case, sabotaged the defense of a conservative defendant, a prominent conservative defendant. And that's in regard to the Carroll sexual assault case. In regard to the Stormy Daniels criminal case, that has not gone to trial. That is scheduled for trial next year. But the judge in that case, like the judge in the Carroll case, has imposed an unconstitutional gag order, basically because the left is egged him on to do that. And it's a disgrace, and we're going to plunge right in and talk about both of these matters. So let's first talk about the Stormy Daniels criminal case. The trial judge in that case is Juan Merchan. He started to show his true colors this past week when he banned former President Trump from sharing evidence related to his criminal trial on social media. I'm reading from a, uh, a Wire report, Judge Juan Merchan's order, which sided heavily with Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg's investigation, stated, quote, any materials and information provided by the people to the defense in accordance with their discovery obligations shall be used solely for the purposes of preparing a defense in this matter, end quote. And not to leave it at that, the judge then ordered President Trump to appear virtually for a hearing on May 23rd to basically instruct the president personally on what he can and cannot discuss in defending himself against these charges. This, is again, is the leading Republican candidate for president we're talking about. Again, another report states, Judge Juan Manuel Merchan added the video hearing to the calendar 
aiming to review the restrictions with the GOP frontrunner, his lawyers and prosecutors, and ensure that Trump understands he risks being held in contempt of court if he violates them. This is going on, by the way, with a, against the backdrop of the Trump team trying to remove this criminal case to federal court. That's extremely unlikely to be successful. So for all intents and purposes, we're dealing with the Judge Merchan situation and these crazy rules, left-wing driven rules that he's laying down to hamstring President Trump so he can't properly defend himself. It's reported that prosecutors requested the protective order over concerns about Trump's history of wielding harassing, embarrassing, and threatening statements against people he's engaging in a legal battle. And the judge says, uh, quote, I'm bending over backwards and straining to make sure he is given every opportunity possible to advance his candidacy and to be able to speak in furtherance of his candidacy, end quote. Well, that's a bunch of hooey. Look, anybody who has watched any true crime show such as Dateline is fully aware that defendants who are innocent or believe they are innocent are able to go on TV and talk to the media and say, I'm innocent, and here's why. And they can talk about the evidence in their case. They can say, look, the tire tracks of the truck don't match my truck's tire tracks. Or they can say, well, that witness is lying. I wasn't there. And the only way to credibly dispute accusations against you is to talk about the evidence. And this judge has prohibited Trump from talking about the evidence in his criminal case. Effectively, he's told him that he, he can't defend himself other than, I guess, to say blanketly, I'm innocent and don't believe anything that's being said against me. It would, and those types of defenses are basically worthless. So we have a frontal assault by this judge on the First Amendment, and this is consistent with the left's approach to the First Amendment freedoms, which are basically freedoms for me, but not for thee. They, they can do whatever they want with the First Amendment. They can use that to justify all kinds of filth and lies. But when conservatives try to defend themselves, even in a criminal case, as defendants historically have been permitted to, they're shut down. It's a disgraceful order, and it's made doubly disgraceful by the fact that President Trump is going to have to sit through this training session in which he'll be told how he can interact with the media. That's intended to humiliate on top of everything else, and the, the judge, I'm sure, will have a high time bossing around this former president. This is a terrible precedent, yet another one being set for our country. Now let's turn to the Jean Carroll sexual assault case, which has just wrapped up. And you've undoubtedly heard that Jean Carroll, who is a writer for Elle magazine, sued President Trump over an alleged sexual assault in a Manhattan department store back in the 90s. She prevailed and was awarded $5 million in her sexual assault and defamation case. An astute reader of Resurgence noted in a comment to following my article last week that President Trump was not found liable for sexual assault, but for simple battery. And that is absolutely true. The jury did reject the claim that he had had sexual intercourse with Jean Carroll, but did accept the claim that he had basically groped or there was unwanted touching on Carroll in that department store. So President Trump was not found liable of the more serious charge of sexual assault. Nevertheless, nobody wants to be successfully accused of groping women, touching them against their consent, lying about them, and then being hit up for $5 million. And that's exactly what happened to President Trump. 
I predicted in earlier podcasts that Gene Carroll is going to appear in TV ads targeting President Trump next year in the campaign, and I stand by that prediction. We'll see if that holds true. But I'd like to talk more about why President Trump lost that case, because Trump's attorneys aren't talking about it. They're obviously afraid to. That's certainly my perception. Others aren't talking about it. And when you look at what happened in this trial, it was a travesty because the judge, Lewis Carroll, a federal judge, was clearly biased against President Trump, was making all kinds of comments to steer the jury to be prejudiced against him. And the Trump's legal team tried to fight back. I didn't think they did an exceptional job of fighting back, but they did at least lay out the core facts of what Judge Kaplan was doing in the Carroll case to sabotage the Trump defense. On May 1st, 2023, the Trump legal team presented a letter to Judge Kaplan challenging his actions. This is odd. They didn't file a formal motion for mistrial. They presented a letter that seemed to be some punch pulling by the legal team where the lawyers didn't basically want to walk point for President Trump any more than they had to. And the judge seemed to appreciate that. He, judge Kaplan praised the lawyer as a quote unquote heck of a lawyer at the end of the case, right as President Trump was being hammered. I think in part because there was no formal motion for a mistrial, just this letter that was submitted to the judge, which he summarily denied. But I'd like to go into some of the accusations made in this letter because they're serious. They show real bias, very damaging rulings and comments by this judge that seemingly were intended to sabotage President Trump's defense and deny him a fair trial, which I believe is what happened. This letter signed by Joseph Tacopina, a New York lawyer, asked that a mistrial be granted, quote, based upon pervasive, unfair, and prejudicial rulings by the court, end quote. It, or it asks for other corrective relief if that's not granted. And these are the facts that are enumerated by Trump's counsel in this letter. And the letter is lengthy. It's 18 pages long, single-spaced. And I'm not going to be able to get into every detail of it, but I want to hit some of the, the key ones and provide some examples of how unfair Judge Kaplan was to President Trump in sabotaging his case. The plaintiff, Jean Carroll, testified that she was, quote-unquote, certain that the department store had surveillance cameras at the time. Now, looking back, those of us who were alive in the 90s and knew what was going on, there weren't a lot of surveillance cameras back then. But there were some, and the plaintiff testified that she was certain that there were cameras. That's obviously very important. If there was footage of what happened, that would be incredibly important evidence. And the letter states, quote, Accordingly, defendant's counsel asked plaintiff if she made efforts to retrieve such footage. However, the court shut down that proper line of questioning and alluded in front of the jury to the possibility that no such surveillance cameras on the first-slash-main floor existed, in direct contravention of the testimony elicited by plaintiff's own witness, Bergdorf Goodman store manager Cheryl Beal, end quote. And then when Trump's counsel asked questions about it, the court interjected, stating, quote, Ms. Carroll testified she guessed, and we have had the testimony from the witness who was at Bergdorf at the time, and she said what she said, we are not going to ask questions based on this kind of statement. The defense attorney then asks, can I ask this question? The court says, I don't know yet. I have not heard it. 
And then the judge just goes on to sustain the objection, just shut down that whole line of inquiry. So they're not able to find out what happened with the video, <laughs> if there was any. Obviously, incredibly important evidence, and defense counsel for President Trump isn't even allowed to explore the issue in the trial. Unbelievable. Then in a second issue, the court expressed to the jury that Carroll could not have defendant prosecuted for rape because private individuals cannot bring criminal charges. Well, Trump's defense pointed out that, number one, quote, the plaintiff could have gone to the police to make an accusation or report of rape, which could have led to the procurement of rape charges. And number two, plaintiff did not do so because the rape never occurred, end quote. When Trump's defense team asked about the failure to go to the police to report this alleged sexual assault, and Ms. Carroll's public explanation for not going to the police was that she thought it would be, quote-unquote, disrespectful to women being raped by the border and around the world to go and make this accusation. Now, that's obviously a, a curious explanation, and the defense team wanted to explore that. So the Trump defense team asked the trial of, of the plaintiff, Gene Carroll, quote, but according to you, you wouldn't bring a criminal charge against him because that would be disrespectful to women being raped by the border and around the world. Plaintiff's counsel objection. The court, you already asked that question. Mr. Takopina, I did not ask this question. I read, played what she said. He's referring to a TV interview. I am asking a question about what she said. Plaintiff's counsel, this is not a criminal case, Your Honor. The court sustained. And the court goes on to state, correct me if I'm wrong, counsel, but I believe in the state of New York, private individuals can't bring criminal charges and probably have not been able to do that in at least a century or two. Mr. Takapina, no, they can't. They could go to the police department. The court, that's not what you said, counselor. We have been up and down the mountain on this question of whether she went to the police, so let's move on. So they're not even allowed to ask why she didn't go to the police. And we have this lecture from the judge about the, the history of private prosecutions in criminal cases. The whole point was, if she was sexually assaulted, why didn't she report it to an independent law enforcement agency so they could investigate it? That certainly would corroborate her testimony. She didn't do it, and the court wouldn't allow the line of questioning and even gave a lecture in the midst of all that. Again, outrageous. We had another example where the defense counsel was trying to explore Jean Carroll's comments that all men should be moved to Montana and retrained. And the, the claim was, well, that was just a satire. So in the midst of this line of questioning, the court again interjects, basically to show off erudition, I guess. Judge Kaplan says, quote, it comes from Jonathan Swift's A Modest Proposal 700 years ago, right? Witness, yes. The court, let's move on. Well, first of all, A Modest Proposal wasn't written 700 years ago. <laughs> He's about half a millennium off. But again, why, why is he interjecting and, and explaining this other than to try to show off his knowledge of Jonathan, Jonathan Swift's A Modest Proposal? And he's not even right about it. Nowhere close. Again, just interjecting. He did. The judge did similar things later where they're trying to find out if there was anybody else on the sixth floor of the department store when these events occurred. The court interjects, quote, Counselor, if a tree falls in the forest and there is no one there to hear it, right, it depends whether somebody is there, doesn't it? And the defense counsel responds, I got an answer, Your Honor. The court, I know you did, but let's not play this kind of game. 
defense counsel, I'm not playing a game, Your Honor. I'm trying to ask the witness questions. You know where I'm coming from, end quote. So obviously finding out if there were other people on that floor of the department store is incredibly important. And you have the judge uh, pontificating about uh, empiricist philosophy, whether a, a tree falls in the forest and no one hears it, blah, blah, blah. And the, these very pointed comments, let's not play this type of game. Those are extremely damaging comments for a judge to make to a lawyer in the middle of a trial in front of a jury. And then the jury is supposed to take the judge as a fair and neutral fact finder and, Those are very damaging and unnecessary and unfair comments. And again, these are issues that the defense counsel raised in the motion for mistrial, so-called motion. It was a letter that they submitted for some reason, and I'm just tracking those comments. The judge improperly labeled argumentative questions by the defense counsel that basically it's called looping where you're just you're using concessions by the witness and using that as the basis for further questions it's a standard practice and the judge claims that it's argumentative for the defense counsel to do that frankly just because it's effective and it points out that the witness is not being in some cases truthful or consistent the judge repeatedly said things were argumentative that were not the judge allowed a witness to testify that she had been sexually assaulted at mar-a-lago by president trump years before so the testimony by this natasha stoinoff was allowed and the defense was not even allowed to voir dire the witness or ask questions of the witness before the testimony was admitted. That's standard practice. That was not allowed. And the Trump's team pointed out that other evidence was allowed in that was propensity evidence that was questionable, including the infamous Access Hollywood tape. And then we had Judge Kaplan instituting a gag order on President Trump and his son, Eric Trump, from discussing the case publicly. You had Judge Kaplan saying that Eric Trump's tweet about the fact that a liberal mega donor was helping to bankroll the plaintiff's case, that that was somehow improper. And Judge Kaplan was very menacing, very threatening in clamping down on these public comments, even though both President Trump and Eric Trump have a clear constitutional right to say these things in public and to discuss the case in public. But again, with the left, free speech for me, but not for thee. And they shut down criticism of their shenanigans and have no problem using the courts to do that. Judge Kaplan gave these very thinly veiled threats in open court saying, quote, I said something this morning about your client, perhaps now sailing in harm's way, conceivably with his son, if the report I just heard is true. Remedies that might be available from this court may not be the only relevant remedies. If I were in your shoes, I'd be having a conversation with the client. And then the judge goes on and says, Eric Trump isn't before me, so you don't have to defend Eric Trump. I am simply suggesting to you that there are some relevant United States statutes here, and somebody on your side ought to be thinking about. So think about that. Judge Kaplan is threatening President Trump and his son, essentially with criminal prosecution. And keep in mind, we have a special counsel, Jack Smith, who is just pulling out all the stops to nail President Trump on whatever he can uh, on, uh, with, with federal jurisdiction. And Judge Kaplan, knowing this, is saying there are some federal statutes that I could use to punish President Trump and, and or his son for criticizing my proceedings publicly. 
It's an outrageous threat. This would never be tolerated if a conservative judge had done this to a, a leftist party or the ACLU or a, a liberal reporter. This would never be tolerated. But here you have a judge blatantly in open court threatening litigants of the right because he doesn't like what they're saying. They're criticizing his proceedings and he gets away with it. it it's Another major attack on the First Amendment and a sad day that he was able to do that. Eric Trump deleted his offending tweet, which perfected the unconstitutional silencing imposed by that judge. But that was a disgrace. And the people of this country should be aware of the attacks on the First Amendment coming from judges who in the past have portrayed themselves as the greatest guardians of the First Amendment. And they, they certainly are when it's being stretched to cover all kinds of filth and things that fill our airwaves and social media daily. When a defendant of the right is trying to defend himself publicly in the court of public opinion, he's shut down. Disgraceful. Shame, shame, shame. So we have judges who are behaving badly, and this is not a first and some of us have been talking about this for some period of time. But I want you to be aware of the stakes here. If they can do this to President Trump, they can do it to anybody. We have to make sure that we're aware of what's going on in this litigation against President Trump, not just so we're as good citizens better able to defend him against a lot of unfair attacks, many of them coming through the legal system. But we need to know that our rights are being chipped away at. And we need to stand up and we need to fight. We need to advocate. And the reality is very few people out there are talking about this. It takes some time and some knowledge and some tenacity to continue to stay focused on these issues. But they're of the highest importance. And I'm going to continue to do that on Resurgence. And I'm grateful for all the people who are listening. You're great patriots. We just have to keep fighting and we have to keep getting the word out and getting the truth out and getting the message of what's happening to President Trump out. Of course, we have a, an election next year, among other things. So the people of this country need to know what is in fact happening. I want to thank you so much for joining me here on the Resurgence podcast. If you haven't already subscribed to Resurgence, please do. You can find a link on your podcast provider if you're not accessing this through Substack. I'll be back next week with a new episode of Resurgence Podcast. In the meantime, keep the faith and keep on trucking. May your day be full of green lights and blue skies, and we will catch up with you next week. Thanks again. Thanks again.